0: Hi, it's Amy Siskin of The Weekly List and author of the book, The List, and welcome to episode 17 of The Weekly List Podcast, which accompanies week 97 on The Weekly List website, theweeklylist.org, and corresponds to the week ended September 22nd, 2018. Welcome! The big stories this week were the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh and allegations of sexual assault. This week, the alleged victim came forward and became public. We're going to be talking about that, which dominated a lot of the news this week, as well as Trump's latest efforts to subvert the FBI and thereby the Mueller probe. And big story towards the end of the week by The New York Times that was then countered by a couple of other sources in the media, saying that Rosenstein might have suggested wiretapping Trump, which of course drove him nuts. So we're going to talk about all those stories, but this week I want to start off with the section I call Everyday Racism. Um, We've been talking the last weeks about the developments which have been getting very little attention of the Trump regime's efforts to make America white again, both by letting in less refugees and immigrants, and as well trying to deport people. Very cruel on both ends. Some news this week on Monday, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo announced the Trump regime will lower the cap on the number of refugees that can be resettled into the United States to 30,000 for 2019. The number represents the lowest cap since the program was put in place in 1980. Trump had set a cap for 45,000 this year in 2018, which was already significantly lower than the cap in place under Obama, which was 110,000 in 2017. So we've gone from 110,000 to 45,000 now down to 30,000. However, the reduced cap is a culmination of efforts by Stephen Miller, who actually had advocated for a cap of 25,000, even though we ended up with 30,000. But in practicality, the number that have been allowed in so far in 2018, 20,918 refugees, a record low. Also of note to justify the reduction, Pompeo cited the backlog of allegedly 800,000 asylum seekers who are awaiting decisions by immigration authorities. The New York Times reported, according to the Department of Homeland Security, Trump's Department of Homeland Security, the number is actually closer to three hundred and twenty thousand. So, again, a big example and big step, record low numbers of refugees coming into this country at a time when there's, as we discussed last week, a peak need on a global basis. Also this week, Border Patrol agent Juan David Ortiz confessed to killing four people on the southern border in early September 2018. The victims were all women, and they were all shot in the head, and they were all sex workers. On Wednesday, in an opinion, Jeff Sessions wrote that immigration judges don't have, quote, free floating power to end deportation cases. Sessions reversed an immigration judge's decision to terminate a removal case, which is, again, not normal. A representative of the National Union of Immigrant Judges said that Sessions' move is part of a broader effort to limit judges' independence and shows the Trump regime's, quote, political approach to immigration courts. CNN reported confirming the worst fears of immigrants and their advocates that ICE has arrested dozens of undocumented immigrants who came forward to take care of migrant children's in government custody. We talked about last week, the number of migrant children's in government's custody has grown fivefold to 12,800. And again, uh, the worst fear of people that undocumented um, immigrants who were in this country who were trying to find a home for these children would be used to bait them and then arrest them, and that is actually happening. On Friday, ICE in Detroit, last week we had talked about this case of Francis Anwana, who is deaf and um, severely disabled. Uh, The good news is ICE has temporarily halted for 30 days after public outcry, I'm sure which we were part of. Uh, deporting him back to Nigeria. So stay tuned there. PBS reported on a Republican Party identity crisis is what they called it, as a handful of GOP congressional candidates this year have openly expressed or supported racist views. One appeared alongside Jason Kessler, a white nationalist. Many are anti-Semitic and or openly racist. The Cap Times reported a constituent called 911 on Dane County Supervisor Sherla Stubbs as she was out canvassing for an assembly seat. The caller reported a suspected drug deal. Stubbs is a Black American. That, just if you're keeping count, is the second since we've been doing these podcasts, cases of an African-American woman out canvassing in her district and having a white person call the police on her. Lovely. News Star reported a white teen in Louisiana was jailed after reportedly putting a noose around a black student's neck. The teen said he wanted to see how many black boys necks he could put it around and get photos. The Fort Bend County Republicans in Texas issued an apology after releasing a campaign ad in the India Herald with an image of Ganesha, the elephant headed Hindu deity and likening it to a GOP elephant. Honestly, you just you can't even make this stuff up. Mother Jones reported that new documents released as part of a lawsuit by New York State directly contradict Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross's claims about the origin of the census citizenship question. An email reveals when Ross asked a top aide to get the Department of Justice to come up with a pretext for adding the question they balked the aide cited the bad press justice was getting at the time with the whole Comey matter. And then on Friday, a federal judge ruled Wilbur Ross must sit for a deposition in a lawsuit challenging the department's decision to ask U.S. residents about their citizenship in 2020, saying his, quote, intent and credibility are directly at issue. This is a major issue, folks, and I'm I'm really glad that activists have brought this in front of our courts. This would be a way to suppress votes by having a citizenship question in the 2020 census. Now I want to talk about the Trump regime, Uh, it's my new section called Inept and Corrupt. On Tuesday, Politico reported newly released records revealed Transportation Secretary Elaine Chow flew on Federal Aviation Administration planes rather than commercial flights on seven occasions. Records show the total cost to taxpayers for flights in between January and August 2017 was roughly $94,000, including one flight to, for her uh, to Europe and for her staff that cost taxpayers close to $70,000. On Tuesday, Trump released a video praising the response to Hurricane Florence, saying Florence was, quote, a tough hurricane, and that it is, quote, one of the wettest we've ever seen from the standpoint of water. (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, The New York Times reported on the one-year anniversary, this is not the funny part, the one-year anniversary of Hurricane Maria, much of Puerto Rico is still in ruins hundreds of thousands of people across the island are living in homes in desperate need of repair. Of the 1.1 million households that sought help, FEMA inspected 754,000 for damage and just 138,000 households received a grant for repair. Two-thirds of the grants were for less than $3,000. And speaking of FEMA, FEMA director, Brock Long, who has been under fire, defended Trump this week on Meet the Press questioning the relevance of independent studies which had found thousands were dead in Puerto Rico in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria. Long tried to differentiate between direct deaths and what he called indirect deaths to refute the George Washington study, saying there was a tenuous link between indirect deaths and the federal government response. On Sunday, The Washington Post reported Long is resisting an effort by Homeland Security Nielsen to fire him in the midst of hurricane season over his alleged misuse of government vehicles, which we discussed last week. The number two position at FEMA is also vacant. We also discussed last week that half of the key roles in the Trump regime's executive branch are still unfilled trump's nominee peter grainer is awaiting confirmation trump's first nominee for the number two position in fema daniel craig withdrew over falsified work and travel records under george w bush on monday the new york times reported the house oversight committee will launch an investigation the republican led trey gowdy into whether brock long report repeatedly misused government vehicles and then on tuesday Politico reported John Veach, a senior official and Trump appointee at FEMA, was suspended without pay related to the investigation of Brock Long. So that all happened this week. We closed out this week with him announcing he would repay the money and and Secretary Nielsen saying he could stay. But that happened all this week. Also in the Trump regime, inept and corrupt category, The Hill reported, according to a letter to Senator Tom Carper, the Office of Special Counsel warned Stephanie Grisham, First Lady Melania Trump spokesperson, over a tweet found to be in violation of the Hatch Act. And I say, join the club. Several other members of the Trump regime have already been found in violation of the Hatch Act, including Kellyanne Conway. U.S. Ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley, has also been found in violation. But punishments need to come from the White House. And guess what? So far, they have done no punishing of people in violation of the Hatch Act. On Wednesday, Senator Ron Wyden wrote a letter to Senate leaders alerting them that his office has discovered a number of senators and Senate staff members that their emails are, were warned that their emails were being targeted. On Thursday, Google confirmed that it has warned some senators and their aides that their personal Google accounts may have been targets of an attempted hack by foreign governments. BuzzFeed reported, based on internal emails it obtained, Trump's July 20, 2017 tweet on a transgender military ban caused chaos at the Pentagon, where policy changes are typically rolled out after months or years. Does Trump- Despite Trump claiming to have consulted with, quote, in his tweet, my generals, not the country's generals, but my generals and military experts, the Pentagon was totally blindsided. One email sent shortly after Trump's tweet said, quote, boss needs to see this now. Another one said, in quote, unbelievable exclamation point. So now we're gonna talk about the Kavanaugh nomination. I'm gonna do this in two parts because this played out over the whole week to kind of weave it into how our week was unfolding. It started on Sunday. Our week goes from Saturday to Saturday at noon, but this first story came out on Sunday that the Washington Post was the one to report that the, that California professor Christine Blessy Ford is the author of the confidential letter on Brett Kavanaugh, detailing allegations of sexual assault when they were in high school. That's a letter we discussed last week that Feinstein had turned over. Ford feared for her life during the attack and later told her husband in 2012 and her therapist in sessions about the attack. She held off going public for fear of her and her family's safety, but said reporters were close to outing her identity, which is why she finally came forward. Ford engaged Deborah Katz, the Washington lawyer known for her work on sexual harassment cases. Ford reportedly took a polygraph test administered by a former FBI agent in early August and passed. On Sunday, Donald Jr. mocked Ford on his Instagram account, posting a meme depicting a grade school love letter written in crayon asking, quote, will you be my girlfriend? And was signed, love, Brett. Senator Jeff Flake slammed Donald Jr.'s Instagram post tweeting, this is sickening. No one should make light of this situation. And then on Monday, senators, and these are all names we've talked about before, the few that have stood up to Trump. uh, Senator Flake first, then Senator Bob Corker, Lisa, Lisa Murkowski, and Senator Susan Collins all said that the Senate should delay the vote, which Grassley was still trying to push through for that week and hear from Dr. Ford. Chairman Grassley said Ford deserved to be heard, but would not say if the vote would be delayed, which at that point was going to be Thursday. Pressure started to build on Tuesday. In an op-ed, Anita Hill said, the Senate Judiciary Committee still lacks a protocol for vetting sexual harassment and assault claims that surfaced during a confirmation hearing. And on Monday and Tuesday, the media was replaying clips from Anita Anita Hill's in time in front of the Senate, and we were reminded when Orrin Hatch referred to Dr. Ford as, quote, mixed up, just how backwards things were during the Nita Hill trial. And as we headed in, into another open hearing, we're reminded that this time on the Republican side, all 11 senators are white male and older. And Orrin uh, Hatch, who made that comment, as well as Grassley, who now chairs the Senate Judiciary Committee, were part of the Anita Hill hearings, which those of us who were alive back then and old enough to listen, that was shocking. If you haven't listened to them yet, I, I suggest you take the time to do so. You think we've come so far, but maybe we have not come so far. On Tuesday, in a letter to Grassley, Katz, that's the attorney for Ford, called for an FBI investigation, a full investigation by law enforcement. Trump said on Tuesday, he does not think the FBI should get involved in investigating Ford's allocations, falsely claiming, quote, this is not what they do. The FBI did in fact investigate allegations by Anita Hill against Clarence Thomas in 1991. On Tuesday, the New York Times reported Ford has been inundated with vulgar email and social media messages and death threats. She has gone into hiding and has arranged for private security for herself and her family. On Tuesday, Vanity Fair reported Kavanaugh's imperiled confirmation has unsettled Trump in the White House. The threat of losing the Senate and House in midterms has stopped Trump from attacking Ford. That's as of Tuesday. Trump is also concerned about losing the midterms, but he has a strategy. He's apparently told friends if they do lose, it would be Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan's fault. See, (laughs) there you go. On Wednesday, Trump told reporters that, quote, it is very hard for me to imagine anything happen. Of course it is. You have 19 cases of allegations against you uh, between Kavanaugh and Christine Blasey Ford. And he called Kavanaugh a, quote, outstanding man. Okay, we're going to come back to the Kavanaugh case. But now I want to take a a delve into what happened this week with the Mueller probe and Russia. Some major news again this week. On Monday, Bloomberg reported Mueller's team will seek to have Michael Flynn sentenced as soon as November 28th, indicating his cooperation in the special counsel is complete. Remember Michael Flynn, it was Trump's national security advisor, one of the first to be fired and the first to uh, have pled guilty and be cooperating in the Mueller probe. According to federal guidelines, Flynn could face as long as six months, although others who have cooperated in the rigged witch hunt who have already served jail time, uh, Papadopoulos got 14 days and Alex van der got 30 days. So Flynn will be potentially the fourth member including Manafort who is still in jail uh, in this rigged witch hunt hoax to go to prison. Politico reported Manafort's plea deal contains several provisions that appear intended to discourage Manafort from seeking a pardon from Trump and rein in the impact of any pardon Trump might grant. The The deal says if Manafort's guilty pleas or convictions are wiped out for any reason Prosecutors have the right to charge him with any other crimes he may have committed or confessed to in the plea negotiations. This was interesting this week. On Monday, the AP reported that in November 2010, letters it obtained show Julian Assange gave a friend authority to, quote, drop, both drop off and collect my passport as he tried to relocate to Russia. Interpol issued a red alert preventing it. The trope of emails obtained show that when WikiLeaks planned to publicize 250,000 US State Department cables, it is when it was first alerted. When Sweden authorities moved in on Assange, he wrote to the Russian consulate in London for help. Interesting. Later in the week, Guardian reported Russian diplomats held secret talks in London last year with people associated with Julian Assange to set up a secret plan to help him escape the United Kingdom, where he's currently residing in the Ecuadorian uh, embassy there. The plan involves smuggling Assange out of that London embassy on Christmas Eve in 2017 in a diplomatic vehicle and transporting him to another country with the ultimate destination being Russia. The plan was put in place to avoid having Assange extradited to the U.S. as part of the Mueller probe but was abandoned after being too risky. Okay, so obviously Mueller is moving in on Assange, who had those leaked emails that Russia's involved. Just see how pieces are tying together here. On Tuesday, The New York Times reported that although Trump's legal team has expanded to nearly a dozen lawyers, they are struggling to understand where the investigations could be headed and the extent of Trump's legal exposure. Trump's legal team is representing him in two federal investigations, one in Washington and one in New York. Reportedly, it is not clear if Trump has given his lawyers a full account of his decades running the Trump Organization. Color me shocked. His legal team also has limited knowledge of what senior regime officials and Trump business associates have told investigators. Manafort cooperating brings a new level of uncertainty. Former attorney John Dowd's strategy of cooperating with the Mueller probe has failed. Dowd has told associates that strategy was based on his believing Trump when he said he did nothing wrong. Oh, boy. The Times also this week compiled an interactive article, which is great. The link, if you go to the weekly list, you can find a link to it. It's called The Plot to Subvert an Election, Unraveling the Russia Story So Far. And it gives a two-year summary of what we have learned and what it means. I'll just go over some of the highlights. It's a long article if you want to take the time to read through it. And it's um, all of it is covered in the list, but just some, you know, something that ties it all together in one place. Just some highlights. Over the two years, Trump's position on contacts with Russia has evolved from there were none. Remember when he said that when he was first elected? There, I had no contact with anyone in Russia. Then... What they did did not amount to collusion. And then it was that in any case, collusion was not a crime. (laughs) That's how we've advanced under Trump. Russia had dozens of contacts during the campaign with Trump aides and associates, who seemed enthusiastic about meetings in Moscow, London, New York, and Louisville, Kentucky. That's the NRA meeting with Butina, who has been charged as a Russian spy with Donald Jr. Russian intervention involved American companies, including Facebook and Twitter, engaging Americans' feelings about immigration and race, and using American journalists eager for scoops, as well as Russian trolls. So again, I'll, I'll leave the rest up for you if you want to click on the article and follow through. On Wednesday, Trump attorney Jay Sekulow told CNN without evidence that NBC had edited the interview in which Trump told Lester Holt he was thinking of the Russia thing when he fired Comey. So clearly they're concerned about his exposure there. Trump has also said they accused NBC of making it up or saying, I didn't really say that. Don't believe your lying eyes. On Thursday, ABC News reported over the past month, Michael Cohen has participated in multiple interview sessions lasting for hours with investigators from Mueller's office. The interviews took place in New York and Washington, D.C., and parts were attended by prosecutors from the Southern District of New York. Cohen's participation was voluntary. Mueller's team has primarily questioned Cohen on Trump's financial and business dealings with Russia and alleged collusion by the Trump campaign with Russia to influence the 2016 election. Ring, ring, ring. Cohen has reportedly also been questioned on whether Trump or any of his associates had discussed the possibility of a pardon with Cohen Cohen recently launched a GoFundMe page to help pay for his mounting legal fees. On Friday, The Wall Street Journal reported as head of Trump's legal defense team, Dowd had tried to help pay legal fees for Manafort and Gates. I've been tweeting like every week, who's been paying for these legal fees for Manafort? We still don't know. But now we know Dow did try, initially trying to divert money from the White House Legal Defense Fund, then later trying to solicit funds. On February 22nd, 2018, Dowd sent in an email that Manafort and Gates need funds immediately and that he personally planned to donate $25,000 to Manafort's defense. The very next day, Gates pleaded guilty and agreed to cooperate. Trump's aides and associates warned Dowd his effort to donate and raise money would look improper. Wow, something improper in the Trump regime. Dowd told the Wall Street Journal he did not make the contribution. Now, we just spoke about Assange and we know there's potential ties with Assange wanting to go to Russia. And then we also know there were potential ties to Assange and Roger Stone. On Friday, ABC News reported Roger Stone Associates Jerome Corsi, who until recently served as a Washington DC bureau chief for InfoWars, met with federal grand jury convened in the Mueller probe on Friday. At least 11 people associated with Stone have been contacted by Mueller's team, including Michael Caputo, Sam Nunberg, Kristen Davis, John Kakenis, Jason Sullivan, and Andrew Miller. So I keep saying watch for the indictment of Roger Stone bringing what happened with WikiLeaks leaking emails one step closer to the Trump regime. On Friday, BuzzFeed reported 3.3 million began moving on June 3rd between two men who orchestrated the June 9th Trump Tower meeting, Aris Aragulov and Ike Kalverndiz. Uh, we discussed two payments last week in the BuzzFeed reporting. These are This is an addition to those other two payments they have uncovered. The New York Times reported Russian billionaire oligarch Konstantin Nikolev, who was recently revealed as a backer of Maria Butina, the one who's being tried as a Russia spy, has been a source of funds for business ventures useful to the Russian military and security services. On Saturday, The Washington Post reported Katie McFarlane, who served briefly as Michael Flynn's deputy, revised her statement to investigators about a key event in the probe of Russian interference in the 2016 election. In the summer of 2017, McFarland denied to FBI investigators, meaning she lied, that she had spoken to Flynn about his discussions of sanctions with Russia Ambassador Sergei Kislyak in December 2015 during the transition period. Now she's had to reverse that. So she lied to the FBI too. So keep an eye on that. The fact that they have interested arrested her might mean something about her potentially cooperating. Um, now this was something I, you know, I, every time I tweet the word unprecedented people are like stop using the word unprecedented, but it is unprecedented. Um, as things were going on with the Kavanaugh and, and Dr. Ford coming forward, Trump threw a big, great big shiny coin on Monday and surprised everybody. On Monday, in a surprise announcement, Trump ordered the Justice Department to declassify significant materials from the investigation of Russian interference in the 2016 election. Trump ordered the Department of Justice to immediately declassify 20 pages of surveillance application that targeted Carter Page, as well as the FBI unredacted text messages from several high-profile Department of Justice and FBI officials, all of whom he hates and tweets about every week, uh, including James Comey, Andrew McCabe, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, and Bruce Ohr. The White House has said the order came at the request of, quote, a number of committees of Congress and was done, quote, for reasons of transparency, because we know how transparent the Trump regime is. Trump's Republican allies in the House, like Representative Mark Meadows and Devin Nunes, have been pushing for the release, suggesting it could help show anti-Trump bias at the highest levels of the FBI. The Washington Post reported former officials described Trump's order as, quote, totally unprecedented, saying even though he has authority to do this, it is tainted by severe conflicts of interest since he is the subject of the investigation. In other words, they're leaking information that is you know, background to the investigation in the Mueller probe and the Department of Justice of Trump himself. The Washington Post also reported the Justice Department did not receive any advance instructions about the materials covered in Trump's order and signaled its intentions to slow walk the request. So that was Monday and Tuesday discussion. And then Wednesday, Trump gave this bizarre interview like I, that's totally is pre- <laughs> that is not unprecedented because that happens every week uh, to Hill TV. Just some of this quotable stuff that he said he criticized Attorney Jeff Sessions, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, saying, quote, I don't have an attorney general. It's very sad. And he added, I'm disappointed in my attorney general for many reasons. Trump also said Sessions confirmation process that Sessions did, quote, very poorly and added Sessions was mixed up and confused over answers that should have been easily answered. Trump also said Sessions did not need to recuse himself, which is why he's mad at Sessions, saying, quote, now it turned out he didn't even have to recuse himself, and that would have prevented the Mueller investigation. When asked if he would fire Sessions, Trump said, quote, we'll see what happens. A lot of people have asked me to do it, adding, we'll see how it goes with Jeff. I'm very disappointed in Jeff, very disappointed. When asked about the term deep state, Trump said, I don't like it because it sounds so conspiratorial even though I use it every week. And believe it or not, I'm not really a conspiratorial person. (laughs) Ah, but I think it's a sad day for our country. Oh, God. Ah, On Comey, Trump said, quote, if I did one mistake with Comey, I should have fired him before I got here. Adding, I should have fired him the day I won the primaries, which technically he couldn't, but that doesn't stop Trump in his mind. Trump also said, quote, I've also said the Russia hoax was an excuse for them losing the election and said that Mueller's team, not only is it fraudulent what they did, you have 17 angry Democrats. Speaking about his order that he did Monday to declassify and release documents, Trump said exposing the, quote, corrupt FBI probe could become one of the, quote, crowning achievements of his presidency. He admitted that he had actually not read the documents he ordered declassified and released, but said he expected they would prove the FBI case started as a political hoax. Trump also added he had been asked by many people in Congress to release the documents, as well as, quote, many people that I respect, the great Lou Dobbs, the great Sean Hannity, the wonderful great Jeanine Pirro. My friend Jay Rosen, the journalism professor at NYU, refers to these Fox co-hosts as Trump's cabinet, and essentially they are Trump's cabinet. The Washington Post reported the interview with Hill TV reflects Trump's feeling of being betrayed by Sessions and increasingly believes he is unprotected in the Mueller probe. Trump family members and longtime loyalists worry about who they can trust, rattled by Woodward's book and the New York Times op-ed. Trump is confronting crises from every direction legal, political and personal. Then on Friday, inexplicably Trump said he would release the del- delay the release that he had ordered Monday, tweeting, "Quote the DOJ, J-D-GOJ, quote agreed to release them, but said it may have perceived negative impact." Um Trump also said that key allies had called and asked them not to be released. He did not specify which allies those were, although the UK and other international intelligence agencies have provided information on attempts to hack the election in 2016. Trump tweeted the inspector general was asked to review documents on an expedited basis and added, quote, I believe he will move forward on this and then in parentheses, strangely, and hopefully other things which he is looking at. I have no idea what that is, but that left something open for us. Trump reportedly changed his mind after talks with intelligence officials, including Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, who explained to Trump about the ramifications of his order. So that crisis is averted for this week. Now back to Kavanaugh. So that was towards the end of the week, and towards the end of the week, things were still heating up with Kavanaugh. On Thursday, seven women who have come forward with sexual harassment allegations while working in Congress, made a public plea for lawmakers to finalize a deal to strengthen the misconduct policing system within Congress. In their letters, the former aide said they were dismayed and disheartened by Congress's failure to act. So a lot of talk this week about polling that showed a a, um, historic gender gap for Republicans, that women voters are moving away from the GOP, That heading into elections, the women voters are giving Democrats a 25-point lead over Republicans. So keep that in mind as we talk about Kavanaugh. On Thursday, South Carolina Republican Congressman Ralph Norman joked about the Kavanaugh allegations saying Ruth Bader Ginsburg came out that she groped, excuse me, Ruth Bader Ginsburg came out that she was groped by Abraham Lincoln. That was really funny. On Wednesday, Susan Collins told a radio station in Maine, my office has received some pretty ugly voicemails, threats, terrible things said to my staff. On Thursday, Senator Dianne Feinstein said her office has received threats of bodily and sexual harm against staff, some naming specific employees. So notice how these heroes target women like Dr. Ford and then women senators on both sides. On Thursday, 56 protesters who were targeting the offices of swing vote Republican senators on the Kavanaugh nomination and chanting things like, we believe women were arrested by U.S. Capitol Police. On Wednesday, the Huffington Post reported Amy Chow, remember her from The Tiger Mom, that's the author of The Tiger Mom, who's also a Yale Yale Law School professor, advised students seeking judicial clerkships with Kavanaugh on their appearance, saying he liked female clerks who have a, quote, a certain look. On Thursday, the dean of Yale Law School sent in a letter to the law school community regarding alleged facility, faculty misconduct, saying the allegations being reported are enormous concern to me in the school. According to the reports, Jeb Rubinfield, Chow's husband, who is also a professor at Yale Law School, also told students seeking a clerkship that Kavanaugh, quote, hires women with a certain look. On Friday, and just realize how unprecedented this is this is a dean of the yale law school on friday in an open letter from the yale law school faculty 50 of them to the senate judiciary committee the faculty said quote we are concerned about a rush to judgment that threatens both the integrity of the process and the public's confidence in the court also this week A Yale newspaper had released clips from the time that Kavanaugh was at Yale showing some of his affiliations with DKE fraternity, um, famous for their chants of no means yes, yes means anal, and another club whose byline was tit and clit. So this guy was something at Yale. On Tuesday, Ed Whalen, a conservative legal commentator and former law clerk to Justice Antonio Scalia, tweeted... Quote, by one week from today, I expect that Judge Kavanaugh will have been clearly vindicated on this matter. On Thursday, in a series of tweets, Waylon laid out his claim that Ford had been mistaken Kavanaugh with a classmate at Georgetown Prep. I won't name the person, but he went through a long tweet with four plans of the house and pictures of them side by side on Twitter, saying that there was somebody else in a case of mistaken identity. Almost immediately, Ford responded, saying she knew them both, so, quote, there's zero chance I would confuse them. On Thursday, The Washington Post reported Kavanaugh and his allies have been discussing a defense that would not question whether the assault happened, but instead would raise doubts the attacker was Kavanaugh. On Friday morning, Waylon tweeted he made a, quote, inexcusable mistake by identifying Kavanaugh's classmate. The PR firm that helped Waylon was CRC Public Relations. Remember that name. That's also the name of the firm behind the swift boat ads used against John Kerry. Waylon was forced to retract this. Many other Republican folks on Twitter, uh, people and staff of the Senate Judiciary Committee also had been part of this conspiracy theory that it was somebody who looked like Kavanaugh, but not Kavanaugh. On Friday, they were forced to back that off after Dr. Ford said, no, I know the other gentleman and it's not the same person. The faculty of the, um, of the just by byline Yale Law School has also pushed for an FBI investigation um, and had written that the partisan hearings alone cannot be a form to determine the truth. So that's a theme that's been out all week, even though Trump said that the FBI doesn't do that and they do do that, that's something continually that has been pressed for. Something that, thus far, as we left this week, something the Republicans were not willing to do. On Friday, and he actually lasted two days longer than I thought he would have been able to last, Trump abandoned his self restraint, attacking Ford in a series of morning tweets. He called Kavanaugh a, quote, fine man with an impeccable reputation who was under assault by radical left wing politicians. Trump also tweeted, I have no doubt if the attacks on Dr. Ford were as bad as she says, charges would have been immediately filed, asking that she bring filings forward so we can learn date, time and place. Trump also tweeted, quote, the radical left lawyers want the FBI to get involved now, adding why didn't someone call the FBI 36 years ago? Trump was criticized for his tweets, including Susan Collins, who said, quote, I was appalled by the president's tweets and Senator Flake, who said, quote, I thought that was incredibly insensitive. By the end of the evening, both Collins and Murkowski, um, despite the fact that Grassley was pushing forward to pressure uh, Ford to come forward on Monday while she was in hiding and worried for her life. They said they should give her the time she needs to come forward when she's ready. In response to Trump's tweets, thousands of t- thousands tweeted on Friday using the hashtag, quote, why I didn't report to share their stories of why they did not report being sexually assaulted. And it was a top trender. Trump tweeted later, quote, Senator Feinstein and the Democrats held the letter for months, adding it was done very purposely to obstruct and resist and delay. Let her testify or not and not take the vote. So again, Trump kept going all day long and there's a lot of pushback, especially from finally the two women um, senators in the Republican Party, two of the women senators. On Friday, this got a lot of ire. Majority leader Mitch McConnell said in remarks at a Values Voter Summit, quote, here's what I want to tell you. In the very near future, Judge Kavanaugh will be on the United States Supreme Court. This is before hearings even took place. On Friday, again, I had mentioned that Crassley had sent an ultimatum for Friday at ten for four to agree she would testify Wednesday, not Thursday. And then Trump. Then finally, she said, you know, they, she had a response um, from her attorney, and then it was almost like a drunk tweet that maybe he thought was a text uh, late in the day. Grassley sent right before midnight a text, a tweet, accepting the fact that she would hold off. Um, but Kat said in the statement, your cavalier treatment of a sexual assault survivor who has been doing her best to cooperate with a committee is completely inappropriate and accused them of putting forward an arbitrary deadline and ultimatums that have created stress and anxiety for Ford. By Friday, also, a USA Today poll found that 40% disapprove of Kavanaugh and just 31% believe he should be the nominee, he should be confirmed. USA Today said, this is the first time a plurality have opposed a Supreme Court nominee since polly began. So that was all happening as we closed out the week. and Those negotiations were ongoing as of Saturday. And we had two other bombshells hit before the weekend. On Friday, a bombshell report by the New York Times Friday afternoon reported Rosenstein, Rod Rosenstein, suggested in the spring of 2017 that he secretly record Trump in the White House and discussed recruiting cabinet members to invoke the 25th Amendment. This is reporting by the New York Times. Reportedly, Rosenstein made the remarks in meetings after conversations with the DOJ and FBI officials in the days after Comey was fired and after Trump had divulged classified information to Russians in the Oval Office. Remember that? That was the time frame when supposedly this happened. According to the Times, not only was Rosenstein serious, but according to a memo by the acting FBI director, then Andrew McCabe, Rosenstein suggested that McCabe secretly record his talks with trump in a statement following that article rosenstein responded quote the new york times story is inaccurate and factually incorrect adding based on my personal dealings with trump there is no basis to invoke the 25th amendment the revelations breaking friday afternoon immediately drew speculation that trump would fire rosenstein Donald Jr. tweeted, quote, no one is shocked that these guys would do anything in their power to undermine Trump. Remember, Rosenstein is now in charge of the Mueller investigation because, as we've talked about, Sessions has recused himself, which is one of the reasons uh, Trump he keeps talking about right after midterms getting rid of Sessions. In a second statement, hours later, Rosenstein said, quote, I never pursued or authorized recording the president, And any suggestion that I did is false. So that was all happening. Then within a couple of hours, we started to see some other news outlets come out. The Washington Post reported both McCabe and Lisa Page as McCabe's in-house counsel took notes of two meetings with Rosenstein on May 16th. Both mentioned the recording device, but Page's notes do not mention the 25th Amendment. According to attendees at the meeting, Rosenstein's comment in response to McCabe pushing to open an investigation in Trump were said sarcastically, quote, What do you want to do, Andy? Wire the president. NBC News likewise reported that according to a Justice Department senior official and a source who was in the room, the New York Times did not have a source in the room. Rosenstein's remarks were sarcastic and Page's notes make, Lisa Page in this case, make no mention of the 25th Amendment. Attendees of the May 16, 2017 meeting, including Rosenstein, McCabe, Page, and four career DOJ officials, including Scott Schultz schools, who would later go on to fire McCabe. Fox News, and remember we talked about Jay Rosen and his um, quote about Trump's cabinet being the Fox News people, Well, they were all activated on Friday. Fox News host Laura Ingram tweeted that, quote, Rosenstein must be fired today when the New York Times article came out. And on her show that evening, she said that Trump should seriously consider whether Rod Rosenstein should remain on the job. Later that night at a rally in Missouri, Trump told the crowd, quote, we have great people in the Department of Justice, but added there's a lingering stench, and we're going to get rid of that, too. And then at the nine o'clock hour, Fox News host Sean Hannity put an end to all of this, saying on his show, quote, I have a message for the president tonight. Under zero circumstances should the president fire anybody. That morning, Ingram deleted her tweet calling for Rosenstein's firing. So people on the left naturally assumed the New York Times story would be used for a pretext for Trump to fire Rosenstein and give him that excuse he needed. And people on the right then started to believe, including Trump's cabinet, Sean Hannity, that this was all a setup and that the New York Times, the fake news New York Times was just doing it to get Trump to fire Rosenstein. Oh my goodness. So this was exhausting. We woke up Saturday to find Garrett Ventry, who is a communications aide for the Senate Judiciary Committee, resigned amid questions from NBC News about a previous sexual harassment complaint. Ventry worked in North Carolina House Majority Leader John Bell's office and was reportedly fired after an accusation of sexual harassment from a female employer. employee. Excuse me. Now, remember I mentioned to remember the name CRC Public Relations? Well, while working also at the Judiciary Committee, Ventry was also employed by CRC Public Relations. That's the PR firm that helped promote Kavanaugh's nomination and was also working with Ed Whelan on his plot to say that it was not actually Kavanaugh. It was one of his classmates. So to something to keep an eye on. One of the main questions people were worried about was whether Kavanaugh was involved in this scheme to pass the buck to one of his classmates. Ventry helped coordinate the Republicans on the committee's messaging around Kavanaugh's nomination, this 29-year-old who was accused in his last job of sexual harassment and fired. And he claimed the Senate Judiciary Committee had no knowledge or involvement with Whalen or the CRC's suggestions about some classmate doing it. Um, So now I just want to close out with some odds and ends. And obviously there's more happening with Kavanaugh's case, but that's where we left it at the end of week 97. Um, On Saturday also, Trump continues to make records. He played his 156th round of golf while in office. 155 of those have been at one of Trump's 17 Trump-owned golf courses, Overall, Trump has played golf one in four days since he took office. Also of interest, and this is good news, the New York Times reported a record 244 lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender candidates will be on the ballot for midterms. Of the 430 candidates who ran in the primaries, only 20 were Republicans. According to the Spanish newspaper El Pez. Trump advised Spanish officials to build a wall to stop migrants saying the border of the Sahara can't be any bigger than ours with Mexico. Spanish officials reportedly explained that the Sahara is much larger. Reportedly the remarks were made when foreign minister Burrell accompanied the Spanish royal family to the White House in June. And I'm sure they were very impressed. And finally, A poll by Baskus Data found that 9% of Canadians have a positive view of Trump. 10% are neutral and 80% have a negative view. This comes two weeks after Trump called for the ruination of Canada because they're such terrible allies to us. So that concludes episode 17, week 97 of the weekly list, which if you're counting, we're coming up on two years, which will be week 104. So until then, stay in touch. If you're on Google Play or Apple iTunes, please give us a review and a rating. And please share this on Facebook and Twitter. Until next week, have a great one. Thank you.